Good morning. Please turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew 11, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Friends, every time we open the Bible, Jesus, the risen King, speaks his authoritative word. Now, this is a truth that we treasure here at Grace Church. But there's an equally precious truth that we must hold on to. When we read the scriptures, Jesus Christ speaks to us out of his gentle and lowly heart. His almighty word are gracious and kind to us, his blood-bought bride. So let's now turn to hear the tender-hearted words of our Savior as we look at Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. For context, we will start reading in verse 25. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn for me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's now ask the Father for the Spirit's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are weak and needy, poor and helpless. We confess that you are strong and mighty. We thank you for the gift of your precious son. We thank you for sending him so that we might find rest. Lord, we ask now that your spirit would take your words and plant them deep into our hearts. Lord, you know the hearts of every soul in this room. Lord, we ask that you would apply your scriptures and you would do your work of encouragement, of strengthening, and even of salvation. Lord, we plead with you that you would show us the glory of our merciful high priest. We ask that you would help us to see and savor our Redeemer. We ask that you will help us to endure in faith and obey all your commands. Speak to us now from your word. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 1856, the great Charles Spurgeon was preaching to 10,000 people. Just just imagine that. Charles Spurgeon is preaching to 10,000 people in London's Surrey Gardens Music Hall. Now, during one of the hymns, someone began yelling, fire, fire, fire. The galleries are giving way. The place is falling. Now, there was no fire, but panic broke out in the crowds. And in the rush to the exits, seven people were killed. 
Now, Charles Spurgeon was devastated by this incident. He later wrote, I refused to be comforted. Tears were my meat by day and dreams my terror by night. I felt as I had never felt before. My thoughts were all a case of knives, cutting my heart in pieces until a kind of stupor of grief ministered a mournful medicine to me. Spurgeon would later testify that sometimes his heart was sunken so low that he would weep by the hour like a child and yet knew what not for. As his wife Susanna explained, my beloved's anguish was so deep and violent that reason seemed to totter in her throne and we sometimes feared that he would never preach again. Friends, Charles Spurgeon treasured the truths of the Bible, but he was a man who was weighed down heavy in his soul. I wonder what things are weighing you down this morning. What burdens did you come carrying on your shoulders when you walked through those doors? Maybe it's a constant physical ailment. Maybe it's a difficult work situation or the fact that you don't have work. Maybe it's been a difficult season of parenting little ones. Maybe it's that good desire that God has withheld from you. Maybe you're burdened down with sin. The question for us this morning is where do we turn for relief? Where do we go to find rest? Here in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus Christ offers you and I lasting rest for our weary souls. He invites us to come to him so that we might know his everlasting rest. So there are three truths in this text that shows us what it means to find rest in Christ. Let's look at three truths from this passage this morning. First, notice the king's invitation. The king's invitation. We see that in verse 28. Look again at verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus begins here with a personal invitation. Come to me. This is the same word that Jesus uses to personally call his 12 disciples. So when he went to Simon Peter and invited him, he said, come and follow me. In the same way, Jesus is personally inviting you to come to him this morning. It's an invitation to follow him as a disciple. Is that not amazing? Is that astounding to you? I don't think you appreciate the magnitude of what's going on here. You see, this is not an invitation to attend a birthday party or a wedding. No, friends, this is no ordinary invitation because Jesus is no ordinary person. It's more like a king's summon. Imagine for a moment that you are at home this afternoon and you get a knock on the door. His Highness Sheikh Dr. Sultan bin Muhammad al-Qasimi has personally summoned you to the palace. He wants you to come face to face with the king for a cup of tea. What would you do? I don't think you would hesitate. You would be amazed that his highness wants to spend some time with you. You'd be amazed that his highness invited you to come to him. But friends, Jesus is no ordinary king. He's no ordinary person, and he's no ordinary king. For instance, listen to what the angel of the Lord tells Joseph in Matthew 1.21. The angel said, Mary will bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14, that they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just a few chapters later, Isaiah says something else about this child. So listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus is the son of David. He is the promised Messiah, the coming King. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he has come to rule over an everlasting kingdom. This is God's kingdom that has no rival and will not end. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow to, the, to God's king. This is why at his birth, wise men came from the east looking for Jesus, saying, Where is it he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Jesus is the one and only king who will reign forever. This is, in fact, what Jesus tells us about himself. So look up at Matthew 11, verse 27, just before our passage. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. All things, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So as a son of God, Jesus Christ has all authority. We see that at the end of the book. All authority has been given to him on, in heaven and on earth. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we can know the Father. Did you notice that in the text? To only those whom he chooses to reveal can know the Father. That idea of knowing God is salvation language. So think about John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus Christ has sole authority to reveal the Father to whoever, to whoever he chooses. This means that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. This is the one who invites you to come this morning. This is the king the king of heaven, who holds life and death in his hands. In fact, he has eternal life and eternal death in his hands. But maybe you're thinking, surely Jesus is not inviting me. You know, I didn't grow up a Christian or in a Christian home. I'm just a youth. I'm just a child. But what does Jesus say? Did you notice that word, all? In verse 28, he says, Come to me, all 
who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus calls all people to himself. The king's invitation is not based on your passport or skin color. It's not based on your amount of wealth or your lack thereof. It's not based on your IQ. It's not even based on how often you come to church or how many verses you've memorized. In fact, Jesus tells us in verse 25 that God loves to hide his glory from the wise and understanding. Those are the proud. And he loves to save those who come to him like little children. This is like a child who recognizes his father in the crowds and runs to him. So Jesus calls all people from all places and all backgrounds to come to him like little children. But maybe you're thinking, okay, but if only he knew what I did this past week. He would not dare invite a sinner like me. But friends, this is precisely who Jesus calls. He, had, he did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to himself. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The word labor here refers to those who toil or work. It is a word that describes a hardworking farmer. Many of you have jobs that are constantly demanding. You might have a little idea what that's like. The word heavy laden here speaks of a heavy burden. So heavy weight to carry. So when you pair these things together, you get a picture of an unbearable load. Always working, burdened, unable to relieve. So think about that heavy burden that Pharaoh placed on the people of Israel in Exodus 1, verse 11. They set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is the word picture that Jesus is talking about. This hard labor, this burden that cannot be lifted like a slave. But what type of burden is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about burdens like our physical strength? Well, it's clear from context, especially from verse 29, that he's talking about the burden of our souls. He gives rest to our souls. So he's talking to people who work and work and work, but they're never good enough. Jesus invites the weary and downtrodden who are burdened by their sin. You see, God in his holiness demands perfection, perfect obedience. But no one in this room can perfectly obey him. So the question for us is, what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, the Pharisees thought the solution was to tie up heavier burdens. They thought, let's put heavier burdens on the people that are hard to bear. So they saw, say all, they saw all the things in the law that said, do not handle, do not touch, and they busied themselves adding rule after rule after rule to achieve righteousness. This is the vanity of man-made religion or self-righteousness. Think about what every world religion says. So most people in the world recognize that there's a problem. They recognize their guilty conscience. They don't know how to get rid of it or how to cleanse themselves. 
They might say, you just need to help yourself. They turn to help, self-help philosophy. Or Buddhism. You, you need to empty your minds. That's the solution. You just need to beat your bodies into submission. Or maybe like the people in this land. You need to pray five times a day. You need to do and do and do and do some more until your good outweighs your evil. You see, at the heart of every worldly philosophy, philosophy has man at the center. The heart of every worldly philosophy has man at the center. It's man's righteousness, what man can achieve, what man can do. And friends, it will leave you weighed down, burdened, and despair. Because who can cleanse a guilty heart? Who can change what's within? Christians, I wonder how often you live like Pharisees. Think about one of those sins that cling closely to you. For instance, let's take the sin of anger. Do you consider victory solely based on how frequently you give in to anger? Is victory to you only based on how frequent you give in to anger or not? Is your joy based solely on how you are doing? I didn't get angry today. Then I must be doing well. Praise the Lord. What about those times when you fall? See, you're reading good books on anger. You have accountability. You're memorizing scripture. You're regularly reading your Bible. And someone cuts you off in traffic and you blow it. Or a spouse says something inconsiderate and you let them have it. What do you do then? You feel weighed down and burdened by your sin. Friends, if you're weighed down this morning, then Jesus invites you to come to him. To come to him with it all. Any amount of strength that you supply will never be able to lift the burdens of sin and self-righteousness. Turn from self-righteousness and come to Christ. As we sung in that classic hymn, let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. And it is him and him alone, Jesus Christ, who can offer you rest. Now maybe you're not a Christian. Well, he invites you to come to him today. Come to him for the very first time to receive the gift of rest, this gift of sovereign grace that must be earned that must be received by faith. It's not something you can earn. It's only received as a gift. So take Jesus at his word. Trust the king who invites you to come to him and come to him. So first we see the king's invitation. But second, we see the king's command. The king graciously invites us to come to him, but what does it mean to come to him? Well, let's look at verse 29. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus freely invites the weary and downtrodden to come to him. And Jesus gives us two commands, two commands to follow. What does it look like to come to him? You must obey his commands. 
So first, Jesus commands that we must take his yoke upon you. That's an imperative. Take my yoke upon you. Now this word yoke is most often used to describe a weight that would be placed on an animal for work. So the yoke would be placed on the animal's shoulders and would be connected to a plow or or a cart. And Jesus commands us to take his yoke upon us. You see, this is a yoke to Christ. Just as that animal is tethered to that pulling cart, so we are tethered to Jesus Christ. This language of a yoke is similar to the idea of our union to Christ. But you cannot put the yoke on and off as you please. You cannot choose to be yoked to Christ one day and then be yoked to Jordan Peterson the next. You can only pledge allegiance to one master. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30. Whoever's not with me is against me. You see, in this life, you will always be yoked to someone or something. There's no such thing as a yoke-free life. This is a lie from the pit of hell. Satan would love you to believe that. True freedom. Do my own thing. Be my own person. Pave my own way. But remember what Paul says in Romans 6. He says you are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You are either under the yoke of this world or under the yoke of Christ. You are either under the burden of the law or under the burden of the Son. You either belong to the kingdom of Satan or belong to the kingdom of God. So when Jesus tells us to take his yoke, there's a transfer that takes place. When you come to Christ, you lay down the yoke of self-righteousness. You lay down the yoke of this world and the burden of sin, and you put on the yoke of Christ. So the imagery here is of our union to Christ, but it's also a burden that Christ gives us. This is what it means to have a yoke. You have something on your shoulders. Now, wait a second. I thought you said we come to Jesus for rest. And you're saying that Jesus places a burden or a weight for us to carry? Yes. That's what Jesus says. But you need to understand what Jesus means. He's not giving his burden, this burden for us to carry in our own strength. But as Lord, as King, as Master, he has certain demands. He is a King to be obeyed. He deserves our exclusive worship and devotion. This is often what's called the demands or cost of discipleship. For instance, listen to some of these demands. These are the words of Jesus, what he tells his disciples. Listen to Matthew 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Or thinking about Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, then come to Jesus. Come to him. Well, if anyone would come, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The call to follow Christ 
will cost you everything. It's a complete surrender to his lordship. It's a complete death to self. You no longer are your own. But what do you gain in return? Jesus says, you get his rest. You get rest for your souls. Now, when we think about this discipleship, this work we have to do, Jesus, like that master who puts a yoke on the oxen for work, he gives us a task. He gives us work to do. So we must consider the demands of Christ. We must follow Christ at all costs, even if it means death to self, death to all of our dreams, desires, to follow him. But we also see a command to do work. He has work for us to do. And what is that work? Well, Jesus explains in that second command. So looking at verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So when we submit ourselves to Christ as king, we do the work of learning from Jesus. That is the very definition of what it means to be a disciple. The word disciple means learner or pupil. And it's not learning like we think of today. So when you hear that word learning, you might be thinking of education in a classroom setting like a university. You can come and go as you please. You might have different teachers for different subjects. You have a distant relationship with the professor. And all all these things are not wrong. They do not capture what Jesus means. You see, to be a disciple of Christ is to be exclusively devoted to him and his teaching. He is your only rabbi. He is your only master. You listen to his voice and no one else's. You learn from him what is right. You learn from him what is wrong. You learn from him how to think, how to feel, how to live. You learn from him how to rightly handle God's word and interpret it and apply it. So as a disciple of Christ, you learn his word and you follow his ways. Think about what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 20. He says, remember, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. So he's teaching them. He's saying, remember the words I taught you. And what will happen? Well, if you belong to Christ, they persecuted Christ, they will persecute you. So you take his words and remember. So when when suffering comes or trials come or persecution come, you do not think something strange is happening. See, this is what Jesus said. This is what it means to be a disciple. So you must learn to, you must learn his words and you must imitate his ways. In fact, a disciple is one who recognizes Jesus for who he says he is. You see, this was the purpose of parables in Matthew 13. So, so listen to Matthew 13. Jesus told his disciples, To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. 
Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So Jesus says the purpose of parables is to show who's a true disciple or not. Who's a true believer or not. A true disciple will understand God's word. He will understand what Jesus is saying. He will understand the gospel. A true believer will hear the voice of his shepherd and follow his king. Beloved, this is why we at Grace Church treasure God's word. If we're going to have any success in following Christ, we must let him speak to us. We must learn to let his word conform and reshape our minds. We must let his word shape our hearts and conform our ways. We need the word to expose our wrong thinking and to show us how to think Christianly and live Christianly. Now, there's an important distinction here that we need to make. You see, Jesus' teaching ministry was primarily to the 12 disciples. So he was training and preparing them for their role in the early church. So it doesn't mean that Christ's commands are not for us. It's not what it means. But it does mean we need to learn from the apostles how to interpret the scriptures rightly. So listen to Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus taught the twelve disciples how every passage of Scripture is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we must learn how to think like the disciples thought. Jesus taught them how to interpret the Old Testament. So we need to learn how do they understand the Old Testament? How do they see it all fitting together and being fulfilled in Christ? You see, we don't come to the Bible with our own interpretation or our own thinking. We need to let the Bible teach us how to interpret the Bible. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to learn his ways. We humble ourselves and we come to him. We take his yoke upon us and submit to his word in every area of life. So let me ask you, do you let Jesus inform your thinking? For instance, how you use your finances. Do you let the scriptures tell you how you should think about marriage and singleness? What it looks like to honor Christ in the workplace? What does it mean to parent in a way that honors him? Do you allow the scriptures to expose your cultural thinking and to teach you how to think like Christ? Friends, we need the scriptures to remind us, to change us, to conform us, to strengthen us, and to empower us so that we can submit to all of Christ's commands. This is the path that Christ provides for your rest. So if you want to enjoy Christ's rest, you must come to him 
as a disciple. You must take his yoke upon you and learn from him. And it is his heart and his heart alone to give you rest. So first we see the king's invitation, the king's command, and finally point number three, the king's heart. Why should you come to Christ with all your burdens? What reason do you have? Well, Jesus gives us two. Look again at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the first reason Jesus gives for why we should come to him for rest is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is gentle and lowly? Well, the word gentle can also be translated as meek or humble. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or it's the same word used in Matthew 21, verse 5. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble or gentle or meek, and mounted on a donkey. Or another way to understand what this word gentle means is to think about the opposite. What is the opposite of gentle? Unkind, harsh, brutal, rude. Jesus is none of those things. His words are sweet and welcoming. He does not crush the broken in spirit. He is full of compassion and grace. Now, the word lowly here can also be translated as humble estate. It has similar ideas of humility, but it's mainly referring to the poor and destitute. It's the same word that Mary uses in her, uh, her, her prayer in Luke 1.51. She says, God has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. It's their word, lowly. This, my friends, should astonish us. Remember, who, who are we talking about? This is the king. Not just any king, the king of kings. The king of heaven. This is God's king. This is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the one who holds all things together. He's the one through whom all things were created. He is the one who has ascended to the right hand of God and is right now receiving glory night and day. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And he's gentle and lowly. Listen to what Dane Ortland says about the heart of Christ. In the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical text, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. That's here. He's gentle and lowly. He continues, The heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. The heart is a matter of life. It drives all we do. It is who we are. And when Jesus tells us what animates him most deeply, what is most true of him, 
When he exposes the innermost recesses of his being, what do we find? Gentle and lowly. This, my friends, is why we can come to him with all our burdens. As Charles Spurgeon explains, Jesus is touched, not with a feeling of your strength, but of your infirmity. Down here, poor, feeble nothings affect the heart of their great high priest on high, who is crowned with glory and honor. As the mother feels with the weakness of her babe, so does Jesus feel with the poorest, saddest, and weakest of his chosen. When we come to this great king, with all our infirmities, all our weaknesses, and all our sins, this king of heaven does not stand far off from us. Rather, his heart draws near to us and welcomes us to come to him. Now, the second reason we come to Christ is because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Remember that yoke we were talking about earlier? You come to him, he places demands on you, means you must put his yoke upon you. Well, Jesus says, the cost of discipleship, the cost of your life, my yoke is easy. The word easy here can be translated as kind. This yoke is kind. Jesus is not a harsh taskmaster. He does not lay upon us a burden that is too hard for us to carry. In fact, his burden is no burden. That's what that word means. My burden is light. Saying, my burden is no burden. The yoke we take upon ourselves as disciples is not a burden. My friends, how can this be? How in the world can this be? It's because Jesus is the one who carries all our burdens upon himself. This is the very reason he came. He is the one who, though in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He is the one who came low from heaven. He came to fulfill every single burden of the law. He came to work, to do what we could not. Every shall not, he did not do. And every command, do this, was done by him. He obeyed his Father in perfect righteousness. He never lashed out in a fit of rage. He never gave in to lust or self-pity. He never sought his own interest. But in humility, got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. He is the one who lowered himself all the way to the grave. He bore every stripe, every bruise, every lash of the whip that was reserved for us because of our sin. He took a wooden cross on his shoulders and he carried it to Calvary. He took those hands and feet and was willingly nailed to that tree. He died the most horrendous, the most horrendous and humiliating death. He was left like a common criminal. He bore the weight of God's judgment, that judgment reserved for our sin, for our iniquity. He took on the burden of all our sins on that cross so that you might never know the weight of God's holy wrath. He died on that cross. But on the third day, he rose again. He conquers our burden of sin and death. 
And it's this risen king who invites you to find rest for your weary souls. He has won the victory for you, my friends. It is only in the death and resurrection of Christ that we can know lasting rest. If you are in Christ, the burden of all your sins have been paid, have been carried, so that you might know the smile of his, the, bless, the blessing of his smile forever. This is a rest from a burden, the burden of our sin and the curse of death. This is an eternal rest that has no end. It is that in times rest, that new heavens and new earth, that glorious place where there's no more sin and every tear is wiped away. Friends, it is only by trusting in Christ's work that we can enjoy this rest forever. This is a rest that the author of Hebrews tells us we receive by faith. It's only by faith, coming to Christ by faith, that you can receive this everlasting rest. Only by trusting in not what you can do, but what Christ has done on the cross. Friends, do you know this rest? Do you know this rest for your souls? If you remain in your rebellion and sin, then you need to know that you are under the weight and burden of God's wrath. You are guilty. And if you refuse to come to him, you will not find rest. You will not find rest in any other place on the planet. And all that waits you is torment and sorrow, suffering, heartache, that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell forever. There's no rest in the place of hell, this place of judgment that is reserved for you if, if you do not come to Christ. But Jesus died on that cross and rose again so that you might come to him and receive his rest. So why don't you acknowledge your sin? Recognize that your good deeds are like filthy rags. You can never earn his favor. You can never be good enough. Stop listening to what you hear on Twitter or YouTube and turn from your sins. Come to Jesus. Listen to him. Believe his word. And he will forgive you. He will welcome you with a compassionate and gracious, gentle, lowly heart. Receive his mercy today. Trust in him and you will receive rest for your souls. Beloved, beloved saints of Emmanuel, or not Emmanuel, grace. Beloved saints of grace. Jesus Christ has bore our burdens on that cross so that we now might walk in righteousness. You see, the reason that, we, that Christ's yoke is easy and burden is light is because he's done the work for us. So any good in you is not you. It's work of God's grace in you. In Christ, he has clothed you with his righteousness. He's, he's given you his spirit. So now, by faith, we can obey all his commands every single one of them. As 1 John 5 says, in Christ, by faith, his commands are not burdensome. They are easy. For the Christian, the cost of discipleship really is no cost at all. You see, Jesus has purchased your soul so that you can enjoy his rest forever. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And Jesus can give you eternal life with him. That is the hope we have as Christians. 
That is a hope we have to walk in discipleship. This is why the great missionary Hudson Taylor, who endured great loss, could say, I never made a sacrifice. Not one. But friends, in our zeal to obey his commands, we must remember what this passage says about it. You see, in our zeal to obey his commands, we must never detach our obedience from the heart of Christ. You remember what the passage says? It says, Come to me, all who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So every area of obedience and faith can never be detached from the lowly and gentle heart of our king. This is why Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Beloved, we obey Christ's commands as we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love one another as Christ first loved us. This means that we must be gentle and compassionate with one another. Think about what Ephesians 4, 32 says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Beloved, are you a gentle, are you gentle and lowly like your Savior? Saints of Grace, are we a gentle and lowly congregation? Are we quick to welcome those in need? Are we quick to show compassion and grace? Are we tender with our words? Even when we correct, do we weep over our own sins? Do we weep over the sins of others? Are we compelled with compassion for the lost? Do we weep over those who are cut off from Christ? And do we go to them and welcome them and say, come to Christ. He can give rest for your souls. We must be like our gentle and lowly Savior. That is what it means to be a disciple. And what do you do, saints, if you fail to love one another? You blew it again. You got angry. You fell into pride or anxiety or lust. What do you do when you're burdened by your sin? What do you do when you, you feel like you have no strength to endure? When you feel like you're at the end of your rope? You come to Jesus. You come again and again and again to your burden-bearing burden king. As we heard in the call to worship from Hebrews 4.14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He sympathizes with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, or therefore, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved, his heart for you never, ever, ever changes. Even as king on high it right now, ever living to intercede for you, his heart never changes. His heart for you is compassion, mercy, and love. 
So why do you not come to him? He is compassionate towards you, and his love is never-ending. He is always and forever gentle and lowly to his blood-bought bride. So friends, are you weary? Are you heavy-laden this morning? Then come to Jesus. Read his word. Sing rich theological songs. Read good Christian books. Let the truths of Christ sink deep into your soul until you can rejoice with confidence knowing that you belong to him. That he will give you rest for your souls. He offers you that end time rest that you can enjoy by faith until the day we see him face to face. He will surely keep us and carry us on his shoulders till we enter that rest and enjoy his glory forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you for the rest that he provides. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to daily come to Christ. Every moment of the day, that we will come to Christ. Help us to believe his word, to know his love, his assurance of pardon and grace. Lord, we ask that the love of Christ would grow in us a love for one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.